0: Thanks for tuning in to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded live in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. For more information, visit banner.church today. Enjoy the message. The Lord is good, amen. Amen 2022, I missed you guys. I feel like it's been... And it's been crazy, I think, of we took that break off Christmas, and then we had the week back, and it just feels like it's been cool to see everybody, like, coming back in town now. We're, like, in the middle of January, but it's just so fun to see everybody uh, and connect with everyone, and I am really excited for what God's going to do. It's why we put the 21 days of prayer and fasting kind of where we do, so that everyone kind of get back in, get back in the rhythm. I was gone a lot around Christmas, and I was like— I gotta like, get back in a rhythm of life. It's like, I miss my dog. I don't even think it's gonna remember me, <laughs> right? Um, but I'm excited, excited that you're here. Excited to see some awesome faces even way in the back. Love you guys, everybody here. Um, it's really a blessing, I think, to share today as we begin our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And now, I- I've preached fasting sermons last week. I-, I preached a very long fasting sermon. I think there was 32 scriptures in there. But uh, this week, we're not specifically talking on fasting. This year, I really specifically want to share with with you the vision that I believe God has given our church for 2022. Every year we talk about it. You know, I was joking in first service that the vision for 2021 was uh, living the way of Jesus Christ. Because I don't know about you, but coming out of 2020, it wasn't like, we're going here, we're running here. It was like, we're learning how to walk again, right? And uh, we're getting healthy. But this year, I feel like God is calling us as a church out to the missional work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, man, I believe he's got some great stuff to the point that God has already begun to move this month in a really powerful and affirming ways that uh, sometimes you go into the fast, you're like, I hope for great things. Uh, this year, I'm going into the fast just already seeing God move. It's incredible. So uh, I want to share with you a little bit today our vision and just invite you to engage in that, but also to engage in the fast. If you got questions about, like, you're new, this is your first time here or joining us online, you're like, 21 days of what? Uh, we have a great guide online if you go on our main page, our main website, Banner. Church, not BannerChurch.com, I think that's a church in Alabama, Banner.Church. There's a guide that tells you everything—well, not everything, a lot that you would need to know about fasting— and uh, can, can set you up. And then we're going to have a worship night tonight. Gillian and I are going to lead that in just a time of prayer and uh, praying over one another and worshiping together. So it's going to be a really, really good time. But uh, I, I'm really, honestly, honestly excited for what God is going to do. So let's pray together. We'll jump into it. Lord God, I thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are with us and that you guide us and lead us. And so, Holy Spirit, we open our hearts to your leading today and your guidance. God we pray you would speak through your word and change our lives in your name. Amen. When I was a kid, uh, we had this electric fence around our yard. I don't know if you guys, when you were kids, had these, but they're just like a wire. that I don't remember how they hook it up, but it's hooked up to the grid somehow. And it's like a little electric fence to keep things from getting in or out of your house. We had dogs that would dig out and coyotes that would try to dig in. And so there's like this wire along the bottom. Mostly what it did is it killed rats. Uh, but it was meant to keep coyotes from coming. Did anybody have this? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, first service, all ranchers, only Gaitana this service. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Uh,. But it was this wire, and some of you are probably blown away by this concept, but in Washington this is a very normal thing, uh, or it was, I don't know, child safety's changed a lot, I think maybe in the past 30 years (laughs) since this was a thing. Um, And it it was just, it was, you know, full of electricity, and it looked just like general bailing wire that you would hook up to your wood fence. And when I saw that as a child, the very first thing that I wanted to do was to touch it. Now, As I'm raising a son, and my son does some of the most infuriating things known to man, I'm often reminded that I was even more infuriating as a child, right? Because my first response at the crickle-crackle of that electrical wire was to think, what happens if I touch it? Some of you, you know what I'm talking about. If your parents were here, they would be nodding at you. Because you were this person And so as a young person I wanted to touch this electrical wire And as I went towards it I distinctly remember my dad yelling from the porch And dads have a yell That can wake the dead, right? Right? It's like, I don't know if Jesus prayed for Lazarus or just a dad yelled into the tomb and brought him back because a dad can yell like it will reach your soul. It echoes through eternity, right? A dad yell. And as I am reaching for this wire, again, I'm very young, but I still very distinctly remember back on the porch, the corner of my ear as if descending through time and space, I hear my father yell like, no, right? Like as loud as he can. And I immediately do what every child does is freeze and then cry, right? Almost in that succession, one after the other. Uh, and now I know if, you, if you're from a different generation or from a different upbringing, you're probably thinking, well, that's not good parenting. You should never yell at your children. I know millennials, we think there's no yelling in parenting, right? It's like, you should never yell. That's not proper parenting. I've read the books. You should never yell. You should, that's, that's a bad parent, Right? Uh, but how many of you know as parents, there is sometimes some yelling? I mean, oft- often. I mean, let's be real, right? Where you're like, literally like, there is no way for me to tell you. One time my daughter was running out of this door. If you're online, you may or may not be able to see. It was running out of this door. And she loves to run, and they kind of peek out of doors. And she was three, and I saw her fingers in this metal door as the door was slamming. And all I could think to yell was, not stop it, get away. I just yelled, Fingers! <laughs> and she stopped, right? It's just, it's ingrained in our, I don't know, something in us. That just, it just, no, she knew in that moment, just by the power of the Holy Spirit, it was just, shut our fingers, right? You know, just speaking in tongues to her. And... uh <laughs> There's something about that. And, you know, some of you might be like, well, that's not, you know, maybe that's not good parenting. But, <laughs> but I think all the time, like, there's an important thing about having a heart and a love for someone else for you desire for their well-being, right? Imagine if my dad saw me. Right now, he's not judging me. He's using good judgment. He might have been judging me. He's using good judgment. And he, imagine if my dad saw me on the porch, and he saw me reaching towards the wire, and he thought, ha, yes. Right? Or imagine if he saw me on the porch and someone next to me goes, hey, do you notice that your son is about to reach towards the wire? And my dad said, yeah, I'm just, I don't want to yell because I'm worried at what he's going to think about me. I'm really trying to let him be his own person. I really want him to explore whatever he wants to do, and I really don't want to limit him, so I'm going to let him, you know, just, just really do whatever he wants. You would look at my father and think, this guy's an idiot. And you would be right. <laughs> right? <laughs> if if a child, if my child was reaching towards an electrical wire, and you were with me on the porch, and you were like, hey, you should do something, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm just, I really want them to, like, express themselves, and I'm worried if I yell at them, it's really going to affect our friendship. You'd be like, I'm sorry, what? Right? Go find another church. Right? Just leave immediately if that ever happens. You have my permission. Right? Just go. Because I'm crazy at that point. Right? Because the reality is to know that someone is on the course or trajectory towards danger and maybe even death, and to say nothing is not loving. To know that someone is going to have something dangerous potentially deathly befall them, and if you say you love that person, to say nothing or to affirm the trajectory towards death is not loving. To step in, even if imperfectly. Right? If you're like, I don't know if we should yell, you know. but it's, it, I'll take imperfectly stepping in, because we're imperfect people. To step in and desire the well-being of others. That is actually loving. See, regardless of what culture says about how we engage with those who are hurting and those who need hope in life, regardless of what culture says, to avoid it and pretend that danger does not exist is not a loving existence. To step in is loving. Are you with me? Are you following me here? Let me let me bring it home for a second. I read a recent study on Christians in America. Some of these are really encouraging. So it's 97%, nine, so almost 100%, of Christians believe that part of their faith means being a witness about Jesus Christ. That's awesome, right? That's a lot. 3% are wrong, but 97% are right. 95% believe that the best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to know Jesus. That's, That's true, too. 73% 73% of, let's break it down into people groups here, 73% of millennials, why is that important? Because millennials are becoming like the center now when it comes to age. Like millennials are, are, are a, a big group of people. They're people now in like their 30s. Some of you are in your 30s. You're like, I don't, I'm not a millennial. I don't identify as a millennial. It's like, that's exactly what a millennial would say, right? If you say, I don't identify as blank, you're a millennial, Right? cut and dry. Like, just know in your spirit, you've just identified yourself as a millennial. I'm an elder millennial. That's exactly what a millennial would say, right? <laughs> if you've posted a meme about not being a millennial, you are a millennial, right? It's guaranteed. Uh, but why, but it's, it's a large portion of the population. So 73% of millennials say they know how to respond when someone raises questions of faith. That's awesome, right? 73%. Feel equipped, Yet 47% believe that it's wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. And about 40% 40 say that if someone disagrees with you, it means that they're judging you. as the reason for why they don't share. We have this deep fear in culture, believers. I'm speaking to believers today we have a deep fear of culture, is that we are afraid to say there was one way to life and one way to death. What these numbers tell me is that we know the truth of Jesus. We believe that it's life-changing. We believe that it's the best thing that could ever happen to anybody. And most of us feel prepared to answer questions of faith, but we won't. We are afraid, heaven forbid, that we offend somebody with the truth that could change their life. And because of that fear, we are missing one of the greatest opportunities to bring hope and life to people who are hurting and broken. Church, I think 2022 is the time to start, stop fearing the world and start loving the world as Christ did. Now, I want to clarify, as soon as I say loving the world, some of you are like, wait, I thought John said don't love the world. Well, let me clarify. We don't love the world like the world wants to be loved through the act of participation. See, God loves the world not with the selfish love of participation, but with the selfless, costly love of redemption. And you know that we're part of that story. In 2022, I feel like God is beginning to stir in our hearts and speak to our hearts to join in that story with the call of come and see. Come and see the God who can change your life. And so today I want to offer an encouragement because, very importantly, we are not alone in this call, nor are we uh, blind in trying to follow what kind of example and how do we share the hope of Jesus Christ? How do we share the love that that, that God has given so freely? How do we do that? Luckily and thankfully, Jesus has given us a profound example. Because though I am imperfect, he is perfect. So I want to look at that example together in John chapter 4, verse 1. If you brought your Bible, go to John chapter 4. If you didn't bring your Bible, don't worry. Our slides team worked very hard to put them on the screen for you. Can we thank our tech team? we got Davis. we got Patrick back there. Awesome. Love them. Great job, guys. But let's read it together. It says, Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. Someone say Samaria. Oh, come on. Someone say Samaria. Yep, you wandered into a Pentecostal church. Welcome. Samaria, called Sichar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, if you've been at church, you might have heard a sermon on this scripture. And so you might be going through or playing through thoughts or different ideas on what, it, what the result would be, the thought would be. Here is what I want to invite you and how I want you to invite, invite you to participate in this scripture today. Is very distinctly look at what Jesus is doing. Look at the heart of Jesus here and begin to study and be a disciple of the heart of Jesus in this moment. It says, Jesus went through, and he came to a town of Samaria. Someone say Samaria again. Samaria. Okay, good. We got it in our mind. Samaria, uh, and he meets a Samaritan, and Samaritans were people from Samaria, right? (laughs) And what, what is Samaria? Let me give you a little brief explanation. We're not going to go through the whole book of 1 Kings. We are going to do a 10-week series on the book of Judges coming up, but totally separate idea. 1 uh, Kings. In 1 Kings, we see that the kingdom of Israel, the people of God, is separated into two kingdoms. They split. And you have the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. And then there's a I don't know, all throughout First Kings is a record of basically just all these terrible kings who do one terrible thing after another. But one of these happens to be this person, first Kings sixteen twenty-three. It says, In the first year of Asa, king of Judah, says another guy named Omri began to reign over Israel. Amen. And he reigned for twelve years, six years he reigned in Terza. Says he bought the hill of Samaria from Shemer for two talents of silver, and he fortified the hill, and called the name of the city that he built, Samaria, after the name of Shemer, the owner of the hill. So in the divided kingdom, there's one place of worship, Jerusalem, and now they're setting up a second place of worship, a second dedicated place in Samaria. There's divisions occurring between these two kingdoms that were once, in God's plan, one kingdom, one place. And what happens is at different points, different armies come in and take over either Judah or Israel uh, to different varying levels of terribleness as they wander from God, as they rebel from God, and then cry out to God. But in one profound moment, and the biggest one, the Assyrian Empire comes and captures Israel. And in capturing Israel, they take away a majority of the people in captivity, but they leave some people behind in the area of Samaria, the area of Samaria. And what they do, because they're very smart, is instead of occupying a group of people, they send their people to intermarry into the, the the Jewish people and begin to interject and interweave their religious cultures and customs into that. Because it's hard to uh, occupy a nation. It's costly. But it's a lot easier if you just make them you. Because it's like, who are you rising up against? Like, your cousin Daryl, right? It's like you're the same, right? And so that was that was the plan. A lot of nations have done this, but that was the plan. Um, tensions arose <laughs> when the people of Israel are released and sent from captivity back to rebuild the walls. And like Nehemiah, right? All these things, right? When people begin to come back into that area, or people of uh, what they would consider more pure Jewish heritage live in the area, because now there's a conflict. Because you have this group of people that intermarried, intermixed, their religions intermixed, then you have these people that very proudly are committed, though, you know, debatable how much they intermix with everything else, very proudly were committed to, to uh, the Jewish tradition. And so what happened is you had these two groups of people that were actually decently similar, but profoundly different in many ways, but they lived right next to each other. And in the Roman protectorate of which Jesus is functioning in, they are not separate things. They're just one big covered and covering thing. So I say all that to say the environment that Jesus is speaking into is incredibly divisive incredibly divided, incredibly hostile. There's a lot of racial tension, religious tension, political tension. Some of you are like, that sounds really familiar. Yes, exactly. This is my point. Is that it is not new for the people of God to speak life into places that are very good at dividing themselves. Humans have been great at dividing each other since the first rock that was thrown, Cain and Abel. Right? (laughs) Really good at it. That's what sin does. That's what the enemy does. And yet Jesus comes in and he ministers amidst division in the world. I say that to say if you are afraid of speaking the truth of the gospel for fear of the culture in which you're speaking into, know that Jesus has given you a road map and take heart in Jesus Christ who's gone before you and who is our Savior and who is our example. So let's look at what he does. John 4, verse 7. Let's keep going. Are you still with me? Amen? Okay, awesome. You guys are doing great. John 4, verse 7. It says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples have gone away into the city to buy food. It says, The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans powerful moment here. If you're taking notes, I just want you to write this down, and we'll we'll explain here. I want you to write this down. When we look at Jesus, what does Jesus do in this moment? Jesus engages with broken people. Jesus engages with broken people. He He literally starts connecting with this woman, and she's shocked. Why? Because she says, normally you would have nothing to do with me. Not only is he Jewish, but he's a Jewish rabbi, a teacher, right? He's got disciples, and Jewish rabbis did not uh, talk with Samaritan women. In fact, if you look at things that were written about Samaritan women by Jewish rabbis, they weren't exactly the kindest. Let me give you an example. Here we go. Quotes. Quote, the daughters of the Samaritans are menstruants from their cradle and therefore perpetually in a state of ceremonial uncleanliness. That was one of the more encouraging ones, right? <laughs> so uh, there's tension there. She's shocked. Why is this guy talking to me? In fact, she's coming in the middle of the day to try to avoid people, and then here's this dude cramping her style. It's like, why are you talking to me? Some of your scriptures might say if they're old enough, but it was like an adjusted version. It might say they don't even use the same dishes. It was entirely culturally inappropriate for Christ to talk to her. But I love that Christ talks for people who it is entirely culturally inappropriate for him to talk to. That's like my favorite thing. One of my favorite things about Jesus. Mark 2, 16, it says, "...the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he, Jesus, was eating with sinners and tax collectors, he said to his disciples, Why does he eat with the tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners." Jesus had a clear mission. Came to seek and to save the lost. And he engaged with broken people. But he engaged with broken people, like he said, like a physician. What does a physician do? He heals. Imagine going to a doctor and you're like, hey, I, I, f- I don't feel good. Something's wrong inside. And they were like, well, best of luck to you. I would hate to offend you by pointing out any of the things wrong with you. So I will release you back out unhealed. beloved." loved. You be like this is the worst flippant doctor I've ever. Some of you have been to doctors like that. And you have, you have some deep trauma from it, right? <laughs> what is it supposed to do? Receive you, offer healing, and send you. That's what Jesus does. That's what Je- Jesus takes people exactly as they are, but He loves them too much to leave them in deep, deep, dark brokenness. He takes us, He heals us, He renews us, He restores us to the joy of salvation, and sends us out to do the same. That's what He does. He engages with broken people. Hear me today. If you feel in your spirit that there is a sense of brokenness... Where you say, man, there's something in me that is not right, is not connecting. There's a longing in my spirit for something. I, I don't know what it is, but there's a longing for something more. Hear me, that Jesus receives that seeking heart. That heart that says, I long for more, but I don't know what the answer is. You do not offend Jesus by being broken, by being seeking, by being messy. But hear me today, if you know the hope of Jesus, you're a believer in the hope of Jesus today, Can I encourage you, look for broken people as Jesus did. If we say, I am a follower of Jesus, it means I do what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? He looked for broken people. And let me just tell you, it's harder to not find hurting people than it is to find them these days. If you have not met somebody who is hurting and broken, there's enough in this room to keep you busy for a while. There's enough at your grocery store and your family. There's enough at your work people who need the love of Jesus Christ manifest in their life and I want to tell you it does not go by your strength or your power it is just your willingness It is the Holy Spirit whose strength and power works through you. It is the Holy Spirit who ministers. It is the Word of God that speaks. It is the gifts that flow through you by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not your gifts or your charisma that leads someone to heaven. It is Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. So be released from the weight of religion upon your shoulders and be renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit today. That it's not by you, it's by him. But our hearts have to be willing. Jesus engaged with broken people. Then he says this, verse 10. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, quote, give me a drink, then you would ask him, and he would have given you living water. Oh, look, he turns. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drink from it himself, as did his son and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, look at this, verse 13. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, in verse 15, Sir, give me this water. Give me this water. I love Jesus is absolutely brilliant here. Right? Is it she tells him why it won't work? Here's why it won't work. Here's the reasons I can't receive this. Here's why it's not going to work for me. And Jesus just begins to teach. But what does he teach? What does he share? It's the second thing. If you're writing notes, I want you to write this down. Jesus tells God's story. Jesus tells God's. He's not debating with her. He's not trying to like argue her into heaven. What does he do? He shares God's story. He's sitting beside a well, and he's drawing water. Right. And he begins to connect this moment in Scripture. See, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, the, the imagery of living water is pervasive, and it means life. It's a great image. Like when it, I love when it rains here. I don't know if you're a fan. I love when it rains here. I'm from a place where it rains and I hate that, but I love when it rains here because it's like four times, right? So when it rains, it's like, yes. And man, that rain, is so beautiful and amazing. And uh, I I go out to the river and I see the rivers are just flowing and just full. It's it's absolutely incredible. Just like fresh water flowing down. Uh, And then after the rain, there's like these puddles everywhere in the valley because our whole water management goal is just get the water to go to the lowest point in the city and sit there for a week and a half, right? It's like, why do we have so many mosquitoes? I don't know. Maybe Lake B over here that's gonna, yep, there it is. I see them. Yeah, actually, I see all of the mosquitoes in the valley right here, you know, right? How many of you would drink out of that mud puddle dirty water? None of you. Good. You're like, I have a life straw. Nobody cares. Nobody would drink out of that water. Nobody would drink out of that water And nor should you Why? Because we, everybody I feel like conceptually from the beginning of time has known flowing fresh water is good Stagnant stale water Is death And so consistently in scripture There's this image That God is the fountain of life And that when we as people try to go our own way And dig our own cisterns The choice is death Let me tell you, Jeremiah that's so what he says, 2.13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Jeremiah calls the Lord, the Lord calls himself the fountain of living waters. And so Jesus looks at the woman, remember God, the fountain of living water. He looks at the woman and says, this is great. And you're right, Jacob was great. But I'm here to give you something greater, greater than Jacob gave. See, he looks at the woman, he says, you're thinking in terms of your physical need, which is important, and I'm thankful for the well. But he says, I'm here to meet a deeper need. I'm here to offer something that will satisfy for eternity. See, Jesus came to heal. I love that Jesus healed. But his greatest healing was from the death of the soul. The real thirst is not for natural water, but for God, for eternal life, for the presence of God, and the thirst is not met by removing the aching desire, but by the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. He says, "This water will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life." Goes back to the prophet Isaiah 12. Isaiah 12:3 12, says, "With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation." Isaiah 51, one says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, by eat, come, by wine and milk, without money and without price. People say, how can I begin to share? We say 95% of the people believe it's part of their faith. 97% of the people believe that it should be. Uh, it is the greatest thing you could ever receive, and yet many people struggle to share it. Why? I think it's because often we are so focused on us, but could we just begin to tell God's story? Could we just begin to be led by the Holy Spirit to talk about who God is, to not try to argue anyone into a relationship with Jesus, but to speak straight to the heart and share who Jesus is, share who the Lord is, that God is loving and gracious and kind, that he is slow to anger and abounding in love, that he is the father to the fatherless, that he is hope for every future and healing for every past, that Jesus Christ came to bring you new life, so that the old is gone and that the new has come. So when God looks at you, he does not see your sin and shame. But he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And if anyone is in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. You were a new creation, baptized and raised into life through him. And it doesn't matter what someone has put on you or said about you, what they've done to you, what they've spoken over you. It matters that God in the Most High has said that you are loved, deeply cherished, deeply valued so much that he sent his son for you and celebrates the day you receive him and celebrates the day he receives you into eternity. Let's begin to tell God's story, church. Let's begin to tell the Lord's story. That's the foundation. Now what we see is the woman is kind of stuck in physical terms in that last verse. We saw in verse 15. It says, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty. And she adds this, or have to come here to draw water. Those are two things. So I'm no longer thirsty. I no longer have this yearning. You say there's a greater yearning. So I no longer have this yearning, nor do I have to come here. Why would it matter if she had to come there? Who cares? It's like a normal part of life. But it does matter when we understand that here's a woman who was coming to a well in the middle of the day. A time when no one would come. And it's highly speculative about, because of what we're going to read, why she was not coming when everybody else would come to the well. She went by herself. And Jesus very importantly does this in this moment. As she begins to ask this question. He does this third thing. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. Jesus connects with her story. Everybody has a story, and every story matters. Your story matters. Your life matters. Your testimony matters. And I know because I know Jesus Christ that when God transforms your life, that even the trauma and the pain and the hurt, all of a sudden God begins to renew and build a testimony. So you didn't know he was a part of your story, but he is, and you're a part of his story. And Jesus, he doesn't attack her. He doesn't get bummed out. He doesn't get frustrated. He goes straight to her heart, and he engages with that place of desperation. Why is she here in the noonday sun when nobody else would be drawing water? Why is she avoiding others, right? No one else would be here drawing water. Why Why is she here? Often people will reveal their heart, and they will reveal their desperation. If you are just willing to listen. And so verse 16, it says this. You still with me? Amen? Okay. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered her, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have is not your husband. That's an important little line there He says you've had five I was reading and again This is always hard to to, to decipher a little bit But in rabbinical tradition More than three was considered insane Like totally unrighteous Like once you got to three you're done But importantly The the language he says here is the one you are with now He's not saying your husband now He says the one in the wording The one you are having relations with Is right now So the dude you're banging is not your husband either That's what he's saying I think that's painting a picture of maybe why she was avoiding others, the shame. It is amazing what our shame will make us do, but usually it makes us hide. It says, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. It says, You worship what you do not know, meaning like the people of Samaria worship what they don't understand. We, the people of Israel, worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here. Hear that again. But the hour is coming and is now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In verse 25, the woman says to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I, who speak to you, am he. What do we see here? We see a woman who is living in sin and shame, who is likely culturally excluded, who has a sense of desperation for her spirit. She says, give me this water so I don't have to come out here and face this and do this and live this again. Hear me, when you encounter brokenness in the spirit, there is always thirst, and believers, I, I think it's time that we truly honestly believe that every person has that God-shaped hole in them that can only be filled by the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. I think so often we're so easy to write away the fact that we have found the hope and healing, the the, the reason for life and existence that is Jesus Christ. We're like, well, maybe if we get around to it. No, it's everything. Jesus is everything. He is life now and life for eternity. Nothing will satisfy. Nothing will satisfy your soul. The great thing about believers is you can take us all seriously upon our own personal testimony. Because every believer I've met believes in Jesus Christ because their soul was unsatisfied till they found satisfaction in Jesus Christ. God has given us this great purpose. If you're going into 2022, you're like, what is my purpose for 2022? What's my purpose? I got to get, like, my vision books out and my, like, uh, business, like, you know, terminology, and I got to get my vision board, and I got to do all these things, get my vision. Let me, let me just give you some vision and purpose for 2022. You ready? It was the same vision and purpose for 22, but it's going to be for 2022 as well. Ready? You have not given a purpose by Jesus Christ to supply living water to those who are in the desert of their soul. God has blessed you to supply, not by your power, not by what you've done, but God has given you the gospel, the good news to share with others that they might have eternal life. He has given us great purpose. And if you are in a prison or you're in a hospital, or you are in a wheelchair, or you are in the best business position you've ever been in your life, or the best financial position, or you are uh, at home constantly and struggling to find ways to reach out, to connect to others, listen, you still have a purpose. That is to share the good news, the hope of Jesus Christ, that is living water to the desert of the soul. But I want to encourage you, in order to share, you have to listen. You have to listen. You know, that's why we fast. We fast to listen most of the time. Because <laughs> like our lives, like the radio's on, the car's on, the kids are screaming, and things are happening, we're focused on this, and the desires of the flesh, and the longings of the spirit. And in fasting, we shut all of those off except for this one thing. It doesn't matter how good your radio is if your TV's on 100. Fasting allows us to focus on those and connect in those ways and to listen and to engage. But our I love is that Jesus reveals her heart her sin and her shame, and she's blown away, but what I love is he doesn't bring it up to shame her. Are you with me? Say amen if you're with me here today. I I want us to hear this. Jesus does not bring this up to shame her. At no point in this dialogue do we feel like Jesus is being excessively cruel, maybe blunt, excessively honest, right? But he's not being cruel in no way in calling her and in, in directing and leading and asking her questions about the things that she's faced. Is he being excessively cruel or mean or mean-spirited or what we would call today judgmental? He doesn't bring it up to shame her. What does he do? He brings it up to invite her to something new because he's got that purpose. He is the living water. He's brought it up because if anyone is in him, the old is gone, the new has come. Listen, church, sin is deadly, It leads to death, right? I think because we've been an institution in this country so long, the urgency of the reality that sin is deadly has been lost on us. But sin is deadly. It leads to death, right? It it is the poison well. And though it might taste okay for a while, poison is still poison. That's why my dog tries to drink antifreeze. Why? Because it tastes sweet, but it's going to kill her. Say, so don't let her drink it. Well, I just want her to do whatever she wants to do. It's like, are you serious? <laughs> you must hate that dog then. We need that urgency. And what happens is he begins to share with her and speak to her, and she immediately begins to disqualify herself. She says, well, if you go back in that in the Scripture, if you still have your Bible open, uh, it says that she says, um, sir, I perceive you're, you're a prophet. Your father's worshiped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place we need to worship. She immediately begins to disqualify herself. This happens all the time. As God begins to speak into someone's life, they begin to list all the reasons that it shouldn't be. God says, you're a child of God. And then the voice in your head is like, no, you're actually this other thing. And you need to tell the voice in your head, like, get in line. Because king of the universe usurps mean things I say to myself at night. Right? (laughs) The king of the universe, the king of glory usurps all that. And what I love is that Jesus, he's not, he's not harsh, but he's so direct. He says, listen, it's going to come to the Jews, meaning the Messiah is going to come. The promise of David is going to come. And I love that there, there's the temple full of the presence. And he says, but listen, the time has come and is now here that true worshipers will list worship in spirit and truth. That's so important. He says it's coming when there's going to be a time where it's not going to matter if you're in Jerusalem or in Samaria or on this hill, because you're going to worship differently. How differently? He says, well, in spirit and truth. And he says, the time is here. Why? Because there was the temple of God's presence. When Jesus comes to the earth, he is the temple of God's presence. And when he ascends and sends the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, he makes us the temple of his presence. Let me sum it up in in terms here. Stop disqualifying yourself from the mission of God for your life, he's made you his temple. Stop disqualifying yourself because of your past. Stop disqualifying yourself because of where you were born or how you were raised or what people said. The Holy Spirit is upon you and has anointed you to share good news. We often disqualify ourselves. In fact, man, you can come up now. It says the presence of God. It says you're going to worship in spirit and truth. In spirit and truth. Meaning, you are full of the Spirit and you walk in the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why it changes everything. Because Jesus' message was not now go to temple. You guys all right? Cool. Anything breaks behind it, I guess I know. Second offering. No, I'm just joking. But Jesus' message was not, now go to temple. His message was, I see your sin and shame. I've come to take away the sins of the world, and I've come to give you my presence. And It says in John four twenty seven, it says, Jesus' disciples came back, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? Good call. And it says, So the woman left her jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Look at that again. It says, The woman left her jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And it says, They, the people, went out of the town and were coming to him, Jesus Christ. Church, I think we might have overcomplicated this whole thing. I think we might have overcomplicated it. I'm just saying, this is literally my job. And I'm just here to tell you, church, I think we might have overcomplicated this. Because what I see here is a woman who at the beginning of the day was hiding from people, was ashamed, was living in a, a sense of sin and shame, and ends the day as the new town missionary. Right? Right? She is leading people to Christ, not to her, not to a church service, to Jesus Christ. To Jesus. She's not saying she has all the answers. Just I found the guy who I think might. She doesn't have a sense of pride. She doesn't have a sense of of it's all about her. She's just saying, come and see. Come and see. See the problem, church, is that I think if we can we be honest 2022, let's be honest in this in this year. I think that we have made sharing the hope of Jesus so huge and ambiguous that that means we don't have to touch it on a daily basis. Because if it's big, if it requires a certificate and like a class that you gotta go through and a discipleship curriculum, then you don't really have to touch it on a day-to-day basis. But I wanna encourage you that we were created for so much more than that. We were created for God to move, for the Holy Spirit to move through you. And here's this woman who went from beginning in shame to now going through the streets to the very people that she was supposed to avoid saying, come and see, come and see, come and see. She didn't have a degree. She didn't have town approval. She didn't have a ministry ladder. She didn't have anything figured out. She didn't have like, oh, I gotta get three coaches so they disciple me to the future. All that is neat. I love all that stuff. But she simply had the encounter with Jesus Christ and a call to come and see. And it says in verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him, Jesus, because of the woman's testimony that said, He told me all that I ever did. What a testimony. Like, that's hiding nothing. Yeah, He told me everything. That means I'm not ashamed about anything. He told me everything I ever did. It says, so when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days, and many more believed because of his word. And it says, then they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. We know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. What a declaration. What a declaration. What a declaration. Church, we've overcomplicated it. We've not overcomplicated the gospel. I love learning. I love growing. I love finding more and discovering more. I'm saying we've overcomplicated it for us. And we've written ourselves out of this beautiful purpose and plan God has for his church. Because it's too complicated. It's too much. It's too much for me. And I'm here to tell you, if you have the Holy Spirit, it's not too much. It's exactly what he's called you to do. When we were in Bangkok, I was mentioning, I forgot to ask the names, but there was these two young women, uh, and they, they told us that, oh yeah, we just go to the Starbucks that's here, and uh, we pray. And then if anybody is like silly enough to look interested in what's happening, like they just shoot us a glance, we just engage with them and start talking to them and asking their story. Very extroverted. Some of you, that just gave you the deepest amount of anxiety. <laughs> so this is not a model. This is just an example. Uh, They say, we just start talking to people, and we hear their story, and then we just tell them about Jesus. Like, they've been believers for, like, two months. They don't know everything there is to know about Jesus, right? I mean, that would be amazing if they did. But they know the important things. They know who He is and what He said about them. And they believe the Word of God, and they have the Holy Spirit. And they just begin to talk. And I met people that came to the church because of them. I was like, wow, we have profoundly (laughs) overcomplicated this in America See this year we are going to spend a great deal of time making disciples who make disciples. I'm really excited for a discipleship curriculum we're going to launch in the fall and we're uh, testing out all throughout the spring and summer. We're really working intentionally on building strong community that supports each other spiritually. I'm really really committed to abandoning all traces of lukewarm Christianity. I just don't think it cut it cuts it the attractional model is dead. It's committed or nothing at this point. But at the end of the day, our call is just simple come and see, come and see, come and see Jesus. Like this woman who was given hope, who was thirsty, come and see Jesus. And that might be in one conversation, or that might be a whole year. All I'm encouraging you, hear the encouragement today, be led by the Holy Spirit to call out to the people around you, come and see Come and see Jesus who set me free. Come and see the one who changed my life. Come and see. Come and learn more. I don't know everything, but come check it out. And my vision and my prayer for 2022 is that we would be a church that responds like like this woman and follows the model of Christ for ourselves, begins to engage with broken people and hears their story and shares the story of God and says, come and see that there is hope for every future and healing for every past in Jesus Christ. I want to end today by inviting you to stand together in unity. I want to pray over you today. And then after Katie's done closing the service, and I'm sure she'll explain again, we have we have a time because it is 21 days of prayer and fasting where after every service, we're going to have a specific prayer focus that we pray together. And so this morning, we're praying specifically for salvations. So if you uh, know someone in your family, uh, your friends, your coworkers, whatever, or you're just also believing that in your fasting, we're just kind of going to circle up and just pray together as a, as a community moment after service closes. But I want to pray specifically for you right now now if you would bow your heads if you're here in this place and you are saying in 2022 you're hearing that call of Jesus Christ to come and see if you're hearing that spurring that fire beginning to stir and I'm not saying do you know all the answers but I'm saying today would you pray and I'd be honored to pray with you Holy Spirit would you lead me would you lead me and guide me to live out the call of come and see so that others might find you If You're praying that today, not by your own strength, not by your own power, but the power of the Holy Spirit. We say, God, I make my heart available to you that you would lead me so that others would come and see the love of Jesus Christ. If that's you, I'd love to pray for you. Would you just lift your hands with me today? I want to pray with you as well. That's, That's a prayer from my heart. Holy Spirit, would you lead me? Good news, he will but I wanna pray for you over your heart and wherever you are, if you're online or in here in this room with your hands raised, I just invite you as your hands are lifted to him just to begin to speak to him and invite him. Say, Holy Spirit, move upon my heart. Lead me, guide me. I can walk this vision of come and see. Jesus, we thank you this morning. I pray for these hands that you see here in this place. I pray over this church. I pray that we as a church would take up the call to spread the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ like never before. God, that we would not be afraid. We would not live in fear of the opinions of the world, but we would walk in the authority of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray for those right now who even they, they might have somebody on their heart that they are longing to see come to know you. I pray for a breakthrough in that relationship even today, even right now, and that the call would be simply not to debate somebody or argue somebody into heaven, but very simply would be to show and declare and, and really uh, experience the great revelation of your love for their life. And God, I pray for those this morning that are feeling maybe unequipped or feeling like they don't even know anybody. God, I pray you would just encourage and use them this morning, that you would work through them, that you would give them eyes to see, that you would give them ears to hear, and that 2022, they would take the great purpose of bringing living water to those in the desert of their soul. And we pray life in the name of Jesus. Before we close here in a moment, I just want to pray one thing. If you're here in this place and you have never received the hope and healing of Jesus Christ, and you're here today to say, Jesus, I want to give you my life. I need eternal life. Saying, I don't know what happens when I go out these doors any of this moment, but for this moment right now, I decide today, Jesus, I choose to follow you with my life. I need you as my Lord and Savior. I need hope for my future and healing for my past. If that's you, I just want to invite you to lift your hand and put it back down. Lift it to the Lord this morning. I want to pray for you here today. I want to pray over your heart this morning. And then if that was you that made that choice, I invite you at the end of service to come back. uh, My wife would love to speak with you and encourage you, begin that journey. But I want to pray for you today. Jesus, I thank you that if anyone is in you, they are a new creation. And Jesus, as we say to you, as we confess with our mouth that you are Lord, and we believe in our heart that you raised from the dead, I thank you that you give eternal life. I thank you for the Holy Spirit. And I pray right now for those who made that choice. I pray hope and healing upon their spirit. I pray you would do a miracle in their life today. And we receive and rejoice over their life that is secured in heaven. And we praise you for your great and mighty and endless love for us. You are worthy to be praised. In Jesus' mighty name. All God's people said, amen. Can we praise the Lord together? Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.